We're in Revelation chapter 13. Don't stand just yet. Don't stand just yet. Just to give you, we haven't been here for a few weeks, for you who haven't been here. Uh, chapter 13 is all about the beast and the false prophet. It gives us insight to this one that is coming. It's going to be the despicable ruler of this global system that's coming into effect. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 13, verses 5 through 10. Warning. The beast blasphemous reign is coming. If you would, stand for reading of God's word. Starting in verse 5. And he, speaking of the beast, was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth who will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life, of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. This is the word of God. Father, we thank you for your word. And Holy Spirit, please teach us the things that we need to know here today about this coming ruler. Please teach us how our world is changing and how we must be Uh, really prepared for the changes that are coming. I don't believe we'll see most of this, but certainly we're seeing the prelude to it today. So Lord, help us to not be indoctrinated into this world system. Help us to hear your gentle voice, Jesus saying, this is the way, walk in it. Help us to be filled with the Spirit and encouraged daily as we go through this walk, as the time grows closer to the end. Thank you for this time to study your word, the precious the inerrant, infallible Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As you know, the theme of Revelation is Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming in judgment, but Jesus is coming to reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, where have we been? Well, we've talked about uh, the tribulation period starting, the Antichrist signing a peace covenant with the nation of Israel, which starts the whole thing, the whole seven-year period of time. We know that we're living in the church age now, the age of grace, but that, great, that age of grace will come to an end, and we believe with the rapture of the church, and then the tribulation period starts. Now, I want you to think about something. Satan will have his way with the Antichrist. I remember on our last teaching, I believe that Satan possesses the Antichrist. His power, signs, and wonders that Antichrist does is done through the power of Satan possessing him. And think about this. He will have a blasphemous reign for 42 months. This will happen. The last half of the tribulation will be when Antichrist is at his zenith, pouring out his venom on the world. But think about this. We did that in the the book of Daniel. We saw that the stone came and crushed the statue. Now remember the stone. We had this picture before. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, the East and West Division, Ten Nation Confederation. And notice that the stone, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, that we were able to discern from Daniel chapter 2, crushes this Antichrist kingdom. And all of them come tumbling down. Remember, each kingdom has a part of the preceding kingdom. Antichrist kingdom is consumed with all these other kingdoms, has parts of all these other kingdoms in this kingdom. But Jesus will come and he will reign. Let me read to you what it says in Daniel chapter 2. It says this, You watched while a stone was cut out without hands. This is 2.34. Which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together. So it hits the feet. The whole thing comes tumbling down. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain. That is, that is a great kingdom, a great ruler, and filled the whole earth. That's Jesus Christ coming kingdom. Will fill the whole earth. No other Gentile kingdoms. Now, last time we met, we talked about the beast wants your worship. If you're going to be here on planet earth, which we don't plan on being here, but if we are wrong, and we could be wrong, okay, then he's going to want your worship. Do not worship him. That is the message. And we know that the beast will come out of the sea in Revelation 13.1. 
and we're able to discern that the sea was the Gentile nations. So it'll be the, the Antichrist will be a Gentile in origin. Remember, we had the map of the Roman Empire, and it, it kind of skirts the Mediterranean Sea. And out of this Roman Empire will come the Antichrist. A couple things I want you to notice. The Roman Empire did not conquer the Parthians, did not conquer Scotland, and then we spent some time developing this 150-year war between the two generals of the four of, of uh, Alexander the Great. Ptolemy was in Egypt, this area. Seleucid was in this area. Out of this comes Antiochus Epiphanes, who is a type of Christ. Remember, he rises to power slowly. He hates the Jewish people. He will come out of this kingdom, and there's a supposition that the Antichrist will come out of this area. Now, we don't know. We're just told that it could come out of this, this kingdom, this kingdom here. But Antiochus was definitely a picture of Antichrist, and we went through that very thoroughly in our Daniel study. And we're also introduced to some significant symbolism. And we were talking about the seven heads and the ten horns, and what in the world does all this stuff mean? Well, the seven heads we were able to discover were the seven Gentile kingdoms. If you still have the map up there, the seven Gentile kingdoms that, that will affect this area right here, Israel. Israel, right here, Israel. Key point, Israel. The nations that, that dominated the world system were dominating the nation of Israel. Remember, it was Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, Ten Nation Confederation. And remember Rome with its two legs was an east leg and a west leg. There's an east block of nations today, and there's a western block of nations today, and they are in conflict with one another. It's been all, ever since the Roman Empire has been in existence, this east-west division, this, tuggle, this, this tussle for power. So, all of these kingdoms, Babylon, Persia, all of those kingdoms, are under satanic dominion. Every world kingdom is ruled by Satan. Most people don't know that. Most people aren't concerned about that. But it's important that we know about that. Past, present, and future under Satan's control. How do we know this? Because we know that every person born into this world are born into the kingdom of darkness and have to be extracted from the kingdom of darkness when they get saved. When you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're extracted forcibly from the kingdom of darkness. That was Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. That delivered was rumai. Remember the word? Rumai. It means forcefully extracted, taken with force out of Satan's kingdom, and placed into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. So we are forcibly extracted and put into the kingdom of righteousness. In case you doubt that these world kingdoms are under Satan's control, Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Remember the three temptations in the wilderness. He, the devil, in, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, says this. The devil took him up to an exceedingly high mountain, that would be Jesus, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you, Jesus, if you will simply bow down and worship me. What has Satan always wanted? He's wanted worship. He's wanted worship, and he's going to get that in the middle part of the tribulation with the abomination of desolation more in just a second. So all these kingdoms are under the control of Satan. Jesus didn't say they weren't yours to give. He has usurped authority. Now, how did Jesus deal with the devil? He quoted Scripture, didn't he? Yes, for it is written, Satan, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Now, just a side note, Jesus believed in the inerrancy of Scripture. Because he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, 13, and 10, 20. He's taking those verses out, and he's using that as the sword of the Spirit to deal with Satan. That's kind of an example of what we are to do today with the sword of the Spirit, part of our spiritual warfare armor. Now, also, it says in John 12, 31, 14, 30, and 16, 11, Jesus says this, Satan is called the ruler of this world. So Satan does have authority here. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, Satan is called the God of this age. But remember, it's all temporary. It's all temporary. 
because the stone is going to come, crush this final kingdom, and Jesus will set up his kingdom. So we've seen the seven heads, and now we're going to talk about the ten horns with the ten crowns. And again, this is review. You know that the ten horns with the ten crowns are ten kingdoms that will be at the end. Ten kingdoms, ten kings will be ruling ten ruling areas throughout the world. And again, I want to show you the statue. Again, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome with its two divisions, and these toes, mixture of clay and iron. It'll be a divided kingdom into ten world kingdom and ten world areas. Ten ruling areas. We see this in Daniel chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. I don't believe I have to read that to you because we've gone through that many, many times. We also learned in our last study that the Antichrist will receive a mortal wound. Some people believe it is a head wound. He will actually die, go into the pit, and be resurrected by Satan. And I believe it is around this time that Satan possesses, physically possesses the Antichrist and allows the Antichrist to do these astounding signs and wonders that will mesmerize the world. Remember how Antichrist comes to power. He's just a regular guy, very smooth in talk, has all the answers to the world problems, and he slowly ascends to power. And in the middle of the tribulation, he asserts himself and demands to be worshipped as God. Remember, that's the abomination of, the, of desolation. And at that point, when he demands to be worshipped as God, remember, he's been booted out of heaven and in Revelation chapter 12. In Revelation chapter 13, 15, which we'll get to next week, we'll see the abomination of the desolation that is set up by the false prophet, that all worship goes towards the Antichrist. When that incident happens, the Jewish people know to do something, and that was to flee into their safe place, to flee into Jordan, that area called Petra or Basra. Remember, we had the map there with Jerusalem and the arrow pointing down to Petra, saying that's where these folks will run to, and God will miraculously protect them. Antichrist will will pursue, the army will be swallowed up, and then he will turn his hatred on the offspring, which will be Jewish believers and Gentile believers in the tribulation period. And with vengeance, he will chase them. He will insist that everyone take the mark of the beast and pledge allegiance to him and make no mistake... This whole thing is for Antichrist, possessed by Satan, to receive the worship of the world, something Satan has always desired to be worshipped. Now, this week, all must know and be warned. It is our duty to do this. The beast blasphemous reign is coming, and I believe that the world is in position now and going very quickly into that epoch of time of a one-world ruler and a one-world government. Let's pick it up in verse 5 and 6. First of all, I want you to realize that Antichrist is given authority. He is given authority. He just doesn't take it. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. Isn't that just a nasty word? Blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. His real power reign will be for 42 months. Remember the seal judgments, he's just coming into power. He's not in full power yet. He's, he's manipulating he's, he's, he's manipulating world conditions to, get, to come to this point in the middle of the tribulation where he's going to demand to be worshipped as God. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, tabernacle in heaven, and those who dwell in heaven, all the heaven dwellers. So again, let me say this unequivocally so you know who's really in charge. Antichrist cannot take authority. He is given authority by God. You have to remember that. Antichrist's authority is given. Now in verse 5, we see that the authority was given by God. In verse 7, it was granted to him, granted to him to make war with the saints. In verse 7, also we saw it was given, authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's global, global authority given by God. The false prophet will be granted to do signs in verse 14. And the false prophet is granted power to give breath and speech to the image in verse 15. These are some big things. 
the world to be mesmerized. But remember, God is allowing this to happen. I'm wondering, why are you allowing this to happen, God? Why are you allowing Antichrist to have all of this power? And it came to me this. God is giving the world, and remember, everyone at this point, or the majority are earth dwellers who are defined as those who belong to Satan, who are in Satan's camp. There will be a great number who will believe that will become heaven dwellers, but the vast majority on earth will remain earth dwellers. And I believe that God is giving the earth dwellers exactly what earth dwellers want. Humanistic power. We can reign, and Antichrist will be our our ruler. God is allowing Antichrist to have his last hurrah. Characteristic of the Antichrist. You just tell me if this isn't a characteristic of earth dwellers today, those who are in Satan's kingdom. Antichrist has a big mouth. A big mouth. And so do earth dwellers. And Antichrist blasphemes God. You know what that word means? It means this. To hurt the reputation of, it's the worst kind of slander. The worst kind of slander. In verse 13, 5, he says this. He was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. In Daniel 7, 8, 7, 11, 7, 20, looking forward to this event, look what he says. Antichrist will have a mouth speaking pompous words, arrogant words. That'll be his posture. That'll be an identifying mark of the Antichrist. And Antichrist not only blasphemes God, but everything in heaven. He blasphemes all of heaven. A Satan-possessed Antichrist hates all who are loyal to the true God. Hates them. Hates them. Now, who's in heaven? Of course, God is in heaven. God is in heaven. Angels are in heaven, the elect angels who chose not to go with Satan. We know that the four living creatures are in heaven. And I also believe by this time, in the middle of the tribulation, whether you're pre-wrath, mid-trib, or pre-trib, you're not here. So if you're mid-trib or pre-wrath, you can say, yeah, I'm, I'm gone now. But if you're pre-trib, you're already there. <laughs> yeah, okay. Satan hates anyone not rightly, re, rightly, excuse me, rightly related to the true God. Anyone who pledges loyalty to God. Now, this is important. Please know this. Please know this. Satan hates you. Now, you realize that, don't you? Jesus told us that. He told us that. If they hated me, they'll hate you. you. This whole world system hates us, that sort of thing. But Satan cannot touch you. Now, that would be a time to say amen. Now, amen, I'll give myself an amen. Amen. He cannot touch us. We belong to the true king. We are residents of a different kingdom, and he has no right to us. 1 John 5.18 says this, The wicked one cannot touch him. Now, you Bible students know what that word is, don't you? Haptomai. Haptomai. He can't cling on to you. He has no rights to you. He cannot grasp on to you as long as you're staying under the cover of Jesus. You belong to Christ's kingdom. Satan has no hold on you, believer. Amen. What is Satan's tactic with believers? It's real simple. Deception and discouragement. Deception and discouragement. That are, that those are his tools. That's what he can use today. He can't touch us, but he can certainly deceive us, and he can certainly discourage us. So that is why we are encouraged in 2 Corinthians 10.5 to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Remember, it's a mind war. It's a mind battle. And Satan can input things into our minds. We know that from Scripture. So we are to not entertain those thoughts, but take captive those thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. But what else do we have? We have the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, which protects our thinking. We want to keep that on. We have the belt of truth that helps us to know what truth is. And we trust in our God and we trust in, trust in the truth of his word. And also we have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God that we use in the fight. It's the rhema of God, the individual scriptures that we've memorized when it comes to, to, to spiritual warfare and those areas of weakness that we may have. And then in Romans 12 too, in the sanctification process, as you're being more and more conformed to the likeness of Christ, we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Remember, it's a mind battle. He who controls the mind controls the person. That's what the deal is. 
So Satan hates you, but cannot touch you. He's a little frustrated, isn't he? Okay, he's a little frustrated. Who else hates you? The world system hates you. How do we know that? Look across the world. Look at Christians today being persecuted in mass. In the 20th and 21st century, there's more Christian martyrs than all of them combined up until that time. That is the truth. We've been through this before. Now, phony Christians don't have to worry. See, when communist countries, they will allow a state church, a state church that'll just kind of give the people pablum, keep them under, under communist control. The world system hates you. But you know who else hates you? When you were born again of the Spirit, Mr. Flesh was put down, okay? But he still wants to rise up and to rule you. He always wants to take you back to old you, to the old comfortable places where you used to go and you used to dwell. So that's the world, the flesh, and the devil. They hate the new born-again you. Now remember the satanic delusion. We also talked about that last time. The satanic delusion. At this point in our study, I think this is in full swing. It's the middle of the tribulation. Antichrist is reaching his zenith of power. And it is, at, it is at this time, I think this delusion is in full swing. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We've been here so many times, your Bible will just flop open to it. But let me read this in verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, the energy of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. And I think these are real miracles that he will do. And with all unrighteous, oh, here it goes, deception among those who perish. Now, why are they perishing? It's been the same things through all the epochs of time why people perish. Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. They rejected, they rejected, they rejected over and over and over the Holy Spirit's wooing, the Father drawing, Jesus drawing. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie. And remember in developing that text, we came up to the conclusion that the lie is that the Antichrist is the true Christ. And the world is going to say, we're going to worship this new true Christ who has done all these signs and wonders and miracles and wants us to take his mark and be sealed by him and demand all of our worship. We're going to worship him instead of the true Christ. The satanic delusion. Remember John 8, 44. Jesus, Jesus said this about Satan. He was a murderer and he was a liar. You were a murderer. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks, he speaks lies. He speaks his native language because he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus was not politically correct, was he? He just laid it right out there. You're a liar, Satan. He's talking to the Pharisees about this. He says, you belong to your father, the devil. He's speaking to them, the religious zealots of the day. What does Antichrist want to do? What does he want to do in this world? One of the things he wants to do is kill the true saints of Christ, the tribulation believers. And Antichrist will make war with the saints. That's verse 7. It was, again, granted to him to make war with the saints. And watch this. And to overcome them. Let that word stick with you. And to overcome them. And authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Again, it'll be a global authority. A global authority. He'll try to kill every believer he can. Antichrist attack is global, every tribe, tongue, and nation. Now, hear this, because I think this is worth listening to. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus will, will tell us what the true church really is. He makes this statement. Satan, well, first of all, Satan will never overcome the true church. These saints are being overcome. Nikeo is the word. A victor. Satan is going to be a victor over these saints. But not the true church. Watch what Jesus says. You are Peter. You are Petros. You are a little pebble. But upon this rock, 
this, this, this Petra, this, this big foundation stone, which I believe is either Jesus Christ or, is, or Jesus Christ church, whichever one you want. It, 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 it is on this massive stone, I will build my church, my ecclesia, my called out ones, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Remember, the gates of hell are defensive. Satan is holding his ground, and the church is expanding and pushing the gates of hell back. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. This is very different than being overcome by the tribulation. There's a tribulation saints are going to experience. Quite different. The saints at the time of the end, folks, are under tremendous persecution. They are killed, it says in Daniel 7.21, by the little horn. Another indication that Antichrist rises slowly. He's a little horn. Then he comes to power. The saints are martyred during this period because they are unwilling to worship the beast and take his mark in Revelation 13.15. True believers will never, ever, ever pledge allegiance to the Antichrist. Now, how long will the beast prevail? We see that it's 42 months. Antichrist days are numbered. That's another amen. Daniel 7.22 gave us a preview of this, written thousands of years before this prophecy. He says, I was watching, and the same horn, the Antichrist, was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came. And a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High in the time for the saints to possess the kingdom. When will these tribulation saints possess the kingdom? When Jesus Messiah comes back. When the stone crushes the bottom of, the, of, of, that, of that statue and it all comes tumbling down. He establishes his forever kingdom. That is when that will happen. Bible prophecy, folks, is true. What will the earth dwellers do? What is the predominant thing that the earth dwellers want to do? They want to worship the beast. And in verse 8, that is exactly what they will do. Worship the beast. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, the beast, whose names, watch the qualifier, have not been written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, who's going to worship the Antichrist, those who pledge allegiance to him, who take the mark, who are mesmerized by his signs and wonders and miracles, who do not receive the love of the truth, the ones who buy into the strong delusion, those who are not written in the book of life. Those who believe Satan and reject the true God and his son, Jesus Christ, are doomed. And that is a tragedy because God has done everything he can to extract them out of the kingdom of darkness and convey them into the kingdom of the son of his love. They've overtly rejected and rejected. What do these tribulation folks reject? What do these earth dwellers in a tribulation reject? Well, listen to this. This is an absolute principle of life that you see in scripture. Very important. Before God judges, he always warns. Before God judges, he always warns. The two witnesses will prophesy for three and a half years, warning and warning and warning. The 144,000 Jewish evangelists will evangelize the world in Revelation 7:4, warning. Again, there's masses of people that will be saved, be transitioned from earth dwellers to heaven dwellers during that time frame. We know that in Revelation 7:9. And then you have the three angels. Now, excuse me, three angels actually flying through the world, one of them with the gospel, the other one saying, Babylon has fallen. Your political, military, religious system, Antichrist, has fallen. And then the third angel is saying, don't take the mark. Whatever you do, do not take the mark. That's in Revelation 14. And then you have the trumpet judgments. And remember this awfulness of the trumpet judgments that we went through. And yet each one of them was warning and warning and warning to turn and live. Look, God is so gracious. He is so gracious. He warns and he warns and he warns. Remember the heart of God. Ezekiel 18.23. This could be a memory verse for you. We've said it so many times. Do I have any 
pleasure at all that the wicked should perish, but that they turn and live. God desires mercy and grace. Folks, God is a life giver. Satan is a life destroyer. He is a murderer. He is a liar. Do not believe him. Do not fall for his deception. Now, let's talk about the book of life for just a second, because there's a lot of confusion on the book of life. The book of life, first of all, these are the things we know about the book of life from the word of God. The book of life contains the names of every person born. That's Psalm 139.16. You're born into this world, name is in the book of life. When one believes in Messiah, their name is retained. We see that in Revelation 3.5. And when one rejects the Messiah, their name is removed in Psalm 69.2. Now the Lamb's book of life, some believe this is a separate book, and that when you're born again, your name is then recorded into the Lamb's book of life. And so they delineate these two books. I believe, I come from the camp that would believe that there's really one book, one book that your name has to be written in. It's the book of life. It is imperative that your name, however you believe this happens, it is imperative that your name is written in the book of life. The reason I say that, because some people believe that when you're born again, your name is written in. Now, I see in Psalm 139.16 that your name is already there. So, uh, but in any event, in Revelation 20.15, if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, they were cast in the lake of fire. So whatever you do, make sure your name is in the book of life. How does it get there? Believing that Jesus Christ died for your sins. That I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and Jesus took all of God's wrath on the cross, and he died in my place. He took all of the awfulness of sin upon himself. So I don't have to suffer it. He substituted for me. Now, God is a life giver. And God's heart is this, for everyone to hear, and that word here means heed. That's verse 9. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Folks, our responsibility in this world is to tell people about Jesus. It is God's responsibility and how they respond to him. We cannot beg, borrow, or plead someone into the kingdom. That is something between them and the person. However, some plant, some water, but God gets the harvest. So we are to be involved in the process. Listen to what is said. That is what hearing is. Listen to what is said, and then act on that information. James 1.22 says it perfectly. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now remember, the world is prepped, is I believe is being prepped for this one world global government and being readied for the Antichrist. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Now look, at we've heard this term before. And that was at the close of each one of the churches in chapters 2 and 3. But there was something added that is missing here. If anyone has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That is absent here. Why is that absent? Because the church isn't here. It's the middle of the tribulation. So whether you're pre-wrath, mid-trib, or pre-trib, you're gone. So you can say amen to that. We're in the same camp at this point. Okay, we're all gone at this point. Amen. So, so... Now, this next verse, when you try to read it out of the the New King James, it's a little bit difficult. Some tribulation saints will be taken captive and some die. Some people I've heard say, well, I'm going to fight a guerrilla war. I'm going to fight against the Antichrist, and I'm going to to kick some Antichrist. Well, I'm going to kick some Antichrist. I'll kick him. (laughs) I guess that's all I can say. It's on Facebook. It's on, okay. (laughs) okay. But anyway... uh, let me just suggest to you something. Remember, Satan is kicked out of heaven in Revelation chapter 12. He, he possesses the Antichrist, and all of his one-third of the angelic realm are thrown to earth with him. Now, what do these demons need to do in order to function in this sphere? They need to possess someone. 
So you have a third of the, of the demonic realm possessing people and they have this massive army and you think that you're going to fight against this super duper army? You talk about, well, what is Transformers, uh, Superman, Wonder Woman. Who are these people? They're, they're some, they're Avengers. Okay, those types. You're going to have all those types of people running around trying to kill people. You think you're going to fight against that? No way. No way. You're not going to fight some guerrilla war. Only those who dwell in Christ, make their home in Christ, will demonstrate the perseverance or the patience and the faith to make it through this mess. Only those who dwell in Christ. Now, how are we instructed in the book of Revelation to overcome this enemy? Now, one time does it say take up arms? It doesn't say take your bazooka, store up all your weapons, make sure you have plenty of ammo because the anti- no, doesn't ever say that, does it? In Revelation 12, 11, it tells us exactly what we are to do. We are confronted with evil in this world. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. We overcome, folks, this way through the Holy Spirit's power. It will not be you thinking, look how strong I am. Look how big I am. I'm better than any, I, I'm standing through all, no, it's the Holy Spirit's power is how you will stand. You will have the patience and the faith by the Spirit's power. And I want to suggest to you that this will be an Acts 1-8 moment. Remember what Acts 1-8 says? Jesus, or actually, this word is going to the, to the followers, to the disciples. He's saying to his disciples, you shall receive power, dunamis power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's how you will stand. The Holy Spirit will come epi upon you. Remember, you're born again of the Spirit. He comes in you. He takes up residence in you. When you, have, when you need the power to do something, he comes on you to give you the power. He is also your parakletos that comes alongside of you, to comfort you along this life journey. Remember, those are the three ministries that we, that we talk about with the Holy Spirit dealing with, with Christians. Did you catch it? You'll be my witnesses. And you know this. You have been in our study before. It's martyrio. The root word is martyr. To declare the truth of Jesus even to the death. And folks, that is happening in spades today all over our world. We are insulated and isolated here in America, and we're experiencing a little discomfort. We have not experienced a lick of persecution yet, folks. We have the freedom to meet. There's nobody coming through that door getting ready to drag us off to prison yet. Yet. There are people doing this today. Now, the question is, is when this time comes, and you see things changing very rapidly in our world, when the time comes, and I have to stand like they stand in Iran, the church in Iran is exploding, or in China, or in Africa, or in the Sudan, where there's overwhelming Islamic oppression, and the church still stands, how am I going to stand? How in the world can I stand? How, how will I know what to say? I think that's a legitimate question. And I think the answer is very simple. God will give you the words and the courage at the moment. Remember Corey Ten Boom? You're going to get the ticket at the time. You're going to get there on time. Her father said, don't worry about it in advance. Jesus said it plainly in Matthew 10, 18, speaking to his disciples and what was going to happen to them. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake. Remember, whatever you suffer, it'll be for Jesus' sake. Jesus' sake. You can rejoice with the rest of the disciples in the book of Acts. As a testimony, a martyrian, familiar word, isn't it? Even to the death. As a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But th when they deliver you up, do not worry. Now that's going to be super duper, isn't it? Do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you, just, you should speak. For it is not you who speak 
but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Aren't you just thrilled with that? It will not be you. You will know exactly what to say. It'll be spirit-led. You'll have spirit power. Now, you, we know that there is a seismic shift in, in our country today. Our country is changing. When the heat is turned up, Christians with a biblical worldview, I'm going to talk about worldview in just a few seconds here. A biblical worldview will hold fast. How? By the Holy Spirit's power. When you feel maligned or threatened, you will hold fast by the Holy Spirit's power. When others are succumbing to the indoctrination of the culture that is coming at us in waves 24-7, you will say no and stand fast through the Holy Spirit's power. You're going to have a biblical worldview and stand for the truth. A must for facing a changing world. A hostile world is this. Abide in Christ. What does that mean? I say that a lot. That means dwell in Christ. Men know, make your home in Christ. You are living close to Christ. You're living filled with the Holy Spirit. You are not being dissuaded by what the world is saying. John 15, 4 and 5, Abide in me and I in you. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. And this is the key. Abiding is the key. Without me, you can do nothing. We must make our home in Christ. Abiders will continue to trust, will not allow their voice to be silenced. And by the way, abiders will continue to meet together. Remember Hebrews chapter 10, 25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another even more as we see the day approaching, even more as the heat is turned up. Even more, we're going to need to encourage one another. Look, when I start to live out stinking thinking, I need someone to come up next to me and say, hey, Rick, let's get it back on track here. Let's think right. Let's think right. Encourage one another. Help one another with right thinking. That's what abiders will do. Remember, the roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, goes after the isolated prey. He goes off of the the crazy little, little deer that wants to float off by himself and then got him. Stay in the herd. Stay close to one another and encourage one another even more as this world is changing right before our eyes. Now in closing, now it's 12, it's, it's 11, 11. And you think, oh my goodness. Well, this is going to take a little time to close. Okay. Because I want to make application for you to, to, for today. Uh, since we're going such a full speed towards globalism, I want you to know what is going on. I'm going to talk about some things that maybe you've heard of or maybe you haven't heard of, but I think it's very important that you do hear this. Okay? So if you haven't tuned in yet, or if you've been going in and out, this would be an end time. End time. So globalism, a one-world government, a one-world monetary system, a one-world religion, they are all being put into place for the preparation of the beast. I think we could agree on that. Remember, it starts as a one-world movement, but quickly we'll, we'll, they will realize this, this isn't going to work. It's not manageable. It's too big. So it'll break down into ten ruling areas. Those are the ten toes. And in Daniel... Chapter 7, we were able to go through that and describe how that whole thing happens. Now, the world, we, as you know, I've put a map up here before, and it's not time yet, Reagan, it will, will break down into 10 ruling areas. I showed you the United Nation map. In a few minutes, I'm going to show you another map. Consider the Club of Rome. Now, what is the Club of Rome? The Club of Rome is a global think tank that deals with a variety of international and political issues. It was started in 1968 by David Rockefeller, a billionaire. Its headquarters now is in Winterthur, Switzerland. And the Club of Rome describes itself this way, a group of world citizens sharing a common concern for the future of humanity. Humans will solve the human problem. That's the Club of Rome. 
They appear altruistic, meaning they're looking out for the good of other people. So they speak a lot of good things. But it's humanism. They are non-believers in the true God. They believe the future of humanity does not depend on God, but on them to create a sustainable earth. That is what they believe. So what methodologies are they using? Now, you have seen this. You have grown to see this. Climate change, open borders, equal distribution of wealth, socialism is the mechanism they'll use to accomplish this goal. All done under the guise of saving the planet. They call this the Great Global Reset. The Great Global Reset. So, completely devoid of a biblical worldview, the Club of Rome has divided our world into ten areas. Ten areas. Now, we've seen this map, a similar map to this. These are the areas. Just think, a little king over here, probably King Obama or somebody like that, and a king down here, and a king here. And I, I want to just... Uh, I'm going to say this at some point. Let's see. Let me go on. I'll, I'll, make, I'll pick up this point. I'll fleet it into my mind in just a second. But future, this is the future that we're facing here in our world today. We cannot blind our eyes. So many people are saying, well, I'm uncomfortable with this. This, this whole revelation thing is, is too stressful for me. It, it's it's too, too much of a downer. Look, at Jesus is coming. That is the end of the whole story. That is a positive thing. Thank you. Hey, we are students of Bible prophecy, and Jesus holds us responsible. Remember in Luke 19, he held the people responsible at his time for knowing that Messiah was coming. They should have known what the prophets were teaching. He said, now you do not know the time of your visitation, and so now these things will be hidden from you. He said in his triumphal entry in Luke 19. So, Do not be indoctrinated into a non-biblical worldview. A non-biblical worldview is being, is being thrusted upon believers today. Now, what is a worldview? Now, again, this is taken from Brandon House's work. It's the religious Trojan horse. And he says this, it's the lens in which a person views their world. It's the foundation of values that determines how a person acts and lives out their lives. Now, remember what determines a worldview. There was a chain. There was a chain, and that'll come up right now. This is a worldview. Okay, next, next slide. The worldview chain. Keep going. The do, okay, your doctrine. Now, this is important. Doctrine is teaching. What you're being taught, what you're taking into your mind, will determine your worldview. Very important. Your worldview will then determine your values, what you hold true, what is valuable to you, what you base your life upon, and your values will determine your conduct. Let me suggest something to you. When you have, from kindergarten through the university, promoting a worldview that is anti-biblical, what you get as a result is what you see in the streets today of lawlessness Supported by the government, governors, mayors, city councils, okay? They've been, they've been pumped with this right from, the, right from the beginning. So you have an indoctrinated culture that thinks what they're doing is right. And what are you hearing all the time? Tear it down. Tear it down. Tear down this old system. We need a new system. More on that in just a second. It's happening in our streets. It's back to Babel. Our world is being primed for the seismic shift in power that is coming. It is a worldview crisis. Now, please bear with me. Bear with me. I want to share with you something. There is something called the World Economic Forum. Okay? The head of it is Klaus Schwab. And he, they have meetings all the time and how, the, how we can change the world and how we can save the world and that sort of thing. Again, in their minds, they're altruistic. In their minds, they're saving the world. In their minds, it's not God, it is them that will make the changes. 
So Klaus, they had a the group meet, met in June 2018, and he said this, quote, the world must act jointly and swiftly to revamp all aspects of our societies and economies from education to social contracts and working conditions. Every country has to be on board. The United States to China, all of us have to be on board. Everyone must participate. Every industry must participate in the Great Reset. Now, this is the methodology that, that Klaus Schwab espouses. 2018. Announce your intention to revamp every aspect of society with global governance. And keep repeating that message. Now remember Joseph Goebbels. The Nazi propaganda czar, czar had an exactly the same methodology in indoctrinating Germany to the Nazi ideology. Say it over, and if it's supported by the government, by the media, by the educational system, and if you can get the religious system to buy into it, then you can indoctrinate the whole culture into different thinking. He goes on to say, step two, when your message isn't getting through, simulate a fake pandemic and show why the world needs a great reset. If the fake pandemic scenarios aren't persuasive enough, wait a little while for a real global crisis and then repeat step one, that we need to come in and save the world. Now, there's all kinds of people involved in this. Uh, Prince Charles, Gina Gopinath, the, I can't remember, the chief economist in the International Monetary Fund, Antonio Guterres, the Secretary General of the United Nations, CEOs and presidents of major international corporations, Microsoft, British Petroleum, Apple, Facebook, IBM, Ikea, Lockheed Martin, etc., are all in on this. And they have something that happened in 2019 called Event 201. 201. And at that, the World Economic Forum teamed up with John's Hopkins. Now, if you are astute with the pandemic, you realize that Johns Hopkins has been putting out all the information on the pandemic, but they're in cahoots with this World Economic Forum. Also, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation were at this meeting, and this is what they discussed in October 2019. Some of you know this from other places you get information from. They did this. They specifically simulated a coronavirus outbreak. This is October last year. The World Health Organization officially declared that the coronavirus was a pandemic in March 11, 2020. A few months later, coincidentally, we have a coronavirus outbreak that had been previously discussed. Is that not amazing? Is that not amazing? And guess what? In 2021, January 2021, they're going to have another meeting to discuss how they can further help the world come into this, come to, come to reality and realize that humanity has to come together to save the world. Folks, it's a setup for the one world government and the Antichrist. That's why I'm bringing this up today. It's not cheery, cheery, yes, great, wonderful, but it's what's coming on the horizon, and we need to know this. So what is your job during this global reset? What is your job besides getting depressed and discouraged and, and want to run into a corner and hide? Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Our calling and our duty is this. Be a Psalm 1 believer. Now, most of you guys know, know Psalm 1, but let me just go through this right quick with you. Because there's hope, folks. There's hope. There's hope. Blessed is the man. That word is ashar. Ashar in the Hebrew. Blessed. Go straight. Be successful. Prosper. Who gets to do that? Who gets to go straight? Prosper. Who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly? I'm not going to buy into this stuff. Not stand in the paths of sinners nor sit in the seat of the scornful. I am not going to sit before that boob tube and hear 
contrary informations about God and, and lies that are indoctrinating me into a world change. I won't do that. Be discerning. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. The word of God. And on his law, on his word, he meditates day and night. That's your survival tool. Meditating on the word of God. Meeting together, encouraging one another as you see the day approaching. How will, it, how will that person be? Like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Deep roots, not easily moved, not going to be swayed by the winds of culture, that brings fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, whatever he does shall prosper. You will stand. You will stand. Refuse to buy into the snake salesmen that are selling the propaganda. Refuse to be indoctrinated into a worldview that promotes globalism, the reset. Refuse to be intimidated by the majority that are wondering, why aren't you wanting to be a good global citizen? What's wrong with you? Can't you see it's for your good? And that's how it's promoted. Let me suggest to you something. Do not walk. Do not stand. Do not sit with these godless philosophies. For those who, I'm going to term this, God walk, you will be blessed. For those who world walk, you will perish. The world, the flesh, and the devil are encouraging you to world walk, to change the way that you think, to deconstruct your Christianity and to think differently. Don't be so radical. Don't, this book doesn't have all the answers. Why, humanity has the answers. Don't buy into it. God walkers are quite different. They will encourage those in their sphere of influence. With Revelation 22.17, it's the last salvation call in the Bible. This is our job, folks. And the spirit and the bride, the bride, that's you, the bride, say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires to take the water of life freely, come. Come. This is the time. Tell people about the real Jesus. Not the make-believe Jesus. Not the pretend Jesus is going to give you everything that you want here. And this is your best life now. This is, if this is your best life now, you got ripped off. <laughs> you got ripped off. Encourage everyone to take of the water of life freely while you still can. We're still in the age of grace. World events, folks, are falling into place right before our eyes. Look up, Jesus said. When you see these things happening, look up. Your redemption draweth nigh, and the King James or is near, is near. Our world, folks, is indeed changing. And, and I love this. This is you. This next picture is us. For the millionth time, we will not be moved. Does he look, he look like he's easily dissuaded? Easily discouraged? Antichrist comes and says something to him, or the globalists say something. He goes, what? What are you talking about, Willis? What are you talking about? Yeah. Don't be moved. Stand like a bull in the blizzard. We will not be moved. Sorry that wasn't cheery today, but we are in the Antichrist section of Scripture. <laughs> hey, let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this time that you've given us to study the word, word of God. And Lord, this is your word. You are preparing us, your people, before you you, you, you render judgment, you warn. And you are warning the world. This is what is coming. This is the revelation, the apocalypsis, the unveiling of the Lord Jesus Christ, of these things that are coming. And he wants us to know. And you promised us a blessing if we read this and we study it and we put it into our hearts and we look forward to it. And so we're claiming that today, Lord, the blessing of the soon coming return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Lord, help us to be occupiers while we're here. Help us to be like that bull in the blizzard with our feet dug in, the rod of iron, Holy Spirit up our spines, and we won't be moved by the indoctrination of this culture. I don't care where it goes. 
We're staying in the word. We're going to meditate on your precepts and, con- and, and, and concepts in your word. And we will stay loyal to you until you come for us. You are our bridegroom. We are your bride. And we want to be ready for your return. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.